to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I hope that you are doing well. I'm really glad that you have joined us. The coronavirus is sweeping through the nation and here throughout the state of Michigan, but one area of the state is being hit particularly hard, and that is the city of Detroit. There are a lot of factors that are playing into this, and one of the biggest is just the sheer number of people who live in poverty in our city. Bridge Magazine recently took a deep dive into the causes and impact of Detroit's struggle with coronavirus. And joining me now to talk about that story are two of the reporters who have been covering this, Mike Wilkinson and Anna Clark. Mike and Anna, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Hello, thank you. Yeah, great to have you guys here. Uh, so, Mike, I'm going to start with you. In the story that came out last Wednesday, Detroit's per capita infection rate was reported as among the nation's highest. It was exceeded only by New York and its surrounding counties and New Orleans. Uh, talk about whether that is still the case. Are we still seeing the rate here climb faster than almost anywhere else? I, I think there's there's no doubt that it has. I've not looked in the last day to see if it's it's there. But what we saw last week in Michigan, uh, and specifically in Metro Detroit, was this this surge that puts us on a per capita basis that that is you know, outside of New York um, is is just exceeding everywhere else in the country. Um, the Seattle area had one county um, that was um, above Detroit, but I think Detroit is probably past it now because. Uh, Seattle has kind of hit its peak in terms of the number of new cases, um, but obviously Detroit has continued to climb. It has uh, almost 30 percent of all of Michigan's cases, and it has 28 percent of the deaths. Um, uh, it's a worrisome trend for you know Mayor Duggan and anyone who lives in the city um, to, to see these numbers, and it has caught the attention, obviously, of the White House search in general um, and others who are, are seeing what's happening here and wondering, is, this, is, this, is there going to be in a couple of weeks where New York City is right now. Hmm. Uh, so, Anna, uh, you have spent a lot of time reporting on the city of Detroit before this. Uh, you, you've done some really important work just in the last week trying to get to the bottom of what's going on here. I think one of the questions on people's minds when they see these numbers out of Detroit and hear about this this rate being so disproportionate to the population is is why, uh, and we've got listeners already asking on on social media about what the explanations for this actually are. Of course, poverty is is the one that we have talked uh, more about, I think, uh, than some of the others. But uh, I, I would love to have you just just give your sense of what's going on here. Sure. Well. It's a good question, and it's an important question about why we have such a, um, such, a such a huge problem with the uh, uh, coronavirus here. And one of them um, is certainly that there are um, a lot of cumulative problems that come with uh, poverty, right? Including a lot of cumulative health conditions that make the symptoms of those who contract the coronavirus worse and can make it uh, more fatal. Um, and I think that I think we're seeing a lot of that play out. I think um, this is also a city where we have struggled for a very long time to get uh, accessible drinking water to people. Um, and while there's been some moves to restore connections to people who have had the water shut off in the re- in, in recent weeks, um, which is great. The governor just also signed a statewide order to um, 
uh, suspend shutoffs statewide, um, given the importance of hand washing and sanitation and all that for public health. Um, you know, I mean, water, organizers around water for a very long time have been um, in pointing to the uh, the stakes for public health when you when a sizable portion of the community you know, doesn't have access to it. I think that's a factor. I think the fact that we have um, a major airport here, including an airport that has, you know, direct routes to a lot of um, communities around the world that have been, uh, were severely and early affected uh, by the virus is um, another important factor in thinking about why uh, it's so, we're feeling it so intense here right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I want both of you to address the the rate of death here in the city of Detroit, which also is outsized. Uh, there were some numbers that uh, Detour Detroit released just before we went on the air about the current death rate in Detroit and Wayne County and Oakland and Macomb. Detroit has 52 deaths out of 1,800 cases. Oakland County, by contrast, has 60 deaths out of 1,400 cases, but that's a, a county with a lot bigger population than uh, the city of Detroit. Uh, Wayne County, outside of Detroit, is 31 deaths for 1,300 cases, and Macomb is 27 deaths for 728 cases. Uh, obviously, if the if the rate of infection is higher, that makes it uh, more likely, I, I would imagine that the death rate it would also um, would also climb, mostly because uh, you are overwhelming the health systems. You're overwhelming the capacity uh, to treat people who who are sick. Uh, I'll start with you, Mike. Well, I think the the, the number of deaths is not necessarily necessarily related related to the number of known infections. I mean, there might be thousands more people. In fact, there likely are thousands more people who are infected. So the number, and they're not getting tested or they've not gotten tested. I know the mayor has, has started a pretty pretty aggressive testing campaign up at the, the, the fairgrounds that should help us kind of get a better handle on who has it. I don't, I don't those numbers, uh, I think, are, are probably more related to the fact that Detroit probably entered the phase of the rise a little quicker. You meant, Anna mentioned the airport. Maybe people came here, you know, from the northern Italy area, which is you know, that's kind of the center of their auto industry, and you have obviously the ties between, you know, Fiat uh, Chrysler. But, you know, since we started earlier, you know, there's a chance for the, the, the virus to have gotten spread more quickly throughout the community, and then the numbers rise. because you know, It's not a quick death. I mean, it's not you get it today. You know, it takes a while. Um, but I think there's, it's too early to say what are the causes and why the rates appear to be higher. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact is, I mean, that Detroit just has this really high rate that we're just not seeing elsewhere. I mean, it, it is high in parts of Oakland County, but it's not uniformly in Oakland County. Um, the highest rates are in Southfield um, in southern parts of Oakland County. The highest rates in Macomb County are in southern o Macomb County and Roseville. So I think when, when we talk about poverty, I mean, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at with some of my reporting this week is, you know, is the message getting out on social distancing? I mean, you know, are the, the issues with broadband and accessibility to, to the message um, just not getting there to people because of, of these limits? Um, because it seems that it does look like it's disproportionately hitting, you know, certain populations uh, more so than others. Hmm. Hmm. Anna? Well, I, I think that's a, another good point, too, about um, is the message about social distancing get out, like getting out to um, people, do people have access uh, to information in, in an immediate way? 
Um, I think that's a, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I do know that there are, um, you know, there's there's been, you know, reports of, you know, people gathering in some of the parks in Detroit and, you know, young folks, they want to, you know, they, they're, they're, be, they're, they're young, they want to be out, they want to see their friends, they've got the message, I think, early on, the an incorrect message early on, that if you're young and don't have known health conditions, you're going to be fine, or you're, it's, there's no, there's no problem with it. Um, but of course, that's erroneous. <laughs> that's, a, that's not, um, um, that's not really getting the full picture of like what we're dealing with here, um, and how even if you don't pre- present any symptoms, you can pass it on to many other people. Um, and also, if you're young um, and have don't known health conditions, you can st- this, you're still vulnerable to this. You're not immune. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, there have been some reports of like I think especially after the stay home order from the governor of like police officials, you know, trying to um, break up some parties that have happened in the last few weeks that um, just aren't okay right now. They just mm-hmm. aren't, it's just not, it's just not, it's just, it just can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to go to, to that point, you know, if, you know, Mike Bouchard up in, in Oakland County said, you know, we're not going to arrest anybody, you know, but we will talk to people. I mean, we'll stop people and say, Hey, you know, you maybe, have you heard about this? We need to, we need to break this up. But we have a Detroit police department that has 40 officers, including the chief that have the virus. We right. have another 468 last I saw that are on quarantine. What is their capacity to even have that conversation with people? I mean, it's kind of a double whammy for the city that, you know, to spread the message. Maybe they didn't get the cell message, the cell alert from the governor. Maybe they didn't see it on TV and CNN. But who's going to tell them otherwise? I mean, it, it, that's mm-hmm. it's just compounded by who it actually has hit. Hmm. That's right. And if the the you know these frontline officials, police officers, may. Um, be carrying, you know, be carrying the virus unknowingly if they're going up and having these conversations with folks directly, um, trying to do the right thing, trying to tell them to, like, you know, break up the party, let them know what the stakes are. Like, are they unwittingly <laughs> passing on the virus themselves, you know, given sure. given that we know how um, uh, prevalent it is in, in the department right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Anna, you wrote a story over the weekend in Bridge about the way that uh, the community here in Detroit is responding to this crisis, the kinds of things that people are doing to try to help each other, the kinds of things that they're doing to try to connect. Uh, I wonder if you could share with our listeners a little of what you learned and uh, and wrote uh, in that story. Sure. Um, there's, well, there's two things. First is that there there are a lot of people in Detroit who take us very seriously and really are trying to do the right thing. And, um, uh, support, you know, take care of themselves and take care of their um, uh, family members and their um, neighborhood uh, in the midst of this crisis. So, um, um, so that's that's the first thing to get across, and 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 that a lot of the the techniques that they have are have been honed over many many disasters past, right? Like this isn't the first time Detroit has faced an emergency. And honestly, maybe this is part of the challenge uh, right now in getting the message across. I mean, um, sometimes when everything is an emergency, nothing's an emergency, right? And this is a city that has like gone through just so much um, high pitch uh, disaster in, 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 in past years and past decades that, you know, there, there might be a, a kind of a numbing effect, <laughs> you know, like uh, it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't um, get home to people. But for, for most, for a lot of folks, I mean, they're, they're, um, 
you know, I worked with Sarah Alvarez on the, in this piece, and, and you know, we talked. Blue Google's talked to a lot of uh, folks who are, um, you know, working uh, quietly and I would say heroically, you know, kind of behind the scenes to to, to uh, make sure that their their neighbors have uh, food, make sure that their neighbors have water, make sure that their neighbors have diapers, uh, make sure that um, they are just checking in on each other, that uh, so that this like. The, uh, um, in the midst of a time of social isolation, you know, just even like waving to each other and calling each other. One one woman I spoke with has been, um, um, she had all these uh, meetings planned to um, uh, around the census, trying to get her community counted in the census on the on the east side, and um, and instead of doing those meetings, which aren't appropriate right now. She's been doing a, a lot of phone banking and, and through that has been finding that a way to like reach, especially seniors that she hadn't, um, even as a really well-regarded community leader, she hadn't um, uh, been able to connect with as much before. And she's been thinking about um, how it's, <laughs> you know, she's like building tools, build, making connections that um, will hopefully um, last long, long beyond this, uh, this, pandemic um but yeah i mean there's i think there's a lot of lived lived experience a lot of wisdom that's come from lived experience here um that uh is uh that 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 people have uh cultivated uh for uh their survival and um i think there's actually a lot to learn from it yeah yeah. So uh, before we end the segment, uh, I, I want to give each of you a chance to talk about the next week, the next two weeks, uh, the next month here in the city of Detroit and what you what the reporting that you've done tells us we should be bracing for in terms of uh, things either getting better or worse, uh, the curve coming down. Uh, are we are we uh, are we getting to the place where things are going to get better, or should we be sort of stealing ourselves for things that uh, that are gonna that are gonna really uh, uh, scare us and and um, and continue, I guess, to deteriorate? Uh, uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Well, a couple of things. I mean, I think you know, Mayor Duggan has talked about it that. Obviously, the number of positive cases are going to go up with, with this massive program they have going on at the fairgrounds. Um, but it also means that for every positive test, someone in the community has this disease, right? And when we know that, that a, a, even though it's a fraction of the people end up being hospitalized, if that number of people tested goes up, the number of people hospitalized goes up, we're going to see continue to see major stresses put on the major medical institutions in the city. So the... Um, I think the dire warnings coming out of the White House and, 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 and other places, the CDC, regarding Detroit, um, you know, I think we got to brace ourselves that these numbers are just going to continue to climb. I mean, they've, they've doubled almost every three days. So at that rate, by the weekend, we could have 4,000 cases in Detroit. By the next weekend, you know, there, there could be, uh, you know, 10,000 or more. I know that sounds apocryphal, but that, that is the arc that we've seen. New York and other places once we've gotten to a certain number. The only way to stop it is, is again, as the mayor says, is if people socially distance and you get the virus and you stay away from everyone else, the virus dies with you. So I think, you know, we're, I don't think we're near the peak in Detroit, one, just because we're finding the people who are testing positive, which is a good thing because then we can tell them to, to, to isolate and we can treat them. But it, it is going to be a while, and, and I think the numbers here are going to uh, – um, are going to, frankly, are going to frighten some people um, in the next week and a half. I know that's not a cheerful message, but uh, uh, I think we have to, it's one we have to be aware of. Yeah. 
Um, go ahead, Anna. Well, I, I'd underscore what Mike said, just that um, the social distancing, the stay home stuff cannot be emphasized enough. I mean, I was, I've been talking to a lot of healthcare workers over the last few days, and they're already very near to being um, maxed out and with the expected uh, peak still coming of, of the virus, which, and again, like, as, as you said, the te- more testing is a good thing. Knowing what we have or dealing with is a good thing, but with the expected peak of that, it's just, um, it's really going to take everything we've got. And so people need to do, people need to stay home. They need to take care of themselves. They need to take care of their family members and community members. It's certainly when it comes to this virus, but also all kinds of other, you know, <laughs> ills and sicknesses and all that. Um, like if you like, like we we cannot stress our hospital resources any more than they're already being stressed. Um, they we we we're, we all got to come together on this one thing. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Anna Clark, who we are going to keep with us. I want to thank Mike Wilkinson from uh, Bridge Magazine for being here. Mike, it's great to have you with us. Um, And we are going to take your calls next as well. Call and tell us what your experience has been with coronavirus in the city of Detroit. Also, as always, call and tell us how you're doing. Tell us what all of these changes have meant in your world for you and your family. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Celebrating 70 years of radio in Detroit. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. We're talking this hour about the city of Detroit and how hard it is being hit by the coronavirus pandemic, all of the things that uh, we're seeing in terms of outsized numbers of infection rates, outsized numbers of deaths. Uh, and we want to talk about how this is playing out in people's lives here in the city of Detroit the things that are different, the things that are no longer available, the things that are taking away from the experience of life here in the city. We want to hear from you, especially uh, if you are someone who lives in the city. Talk about how the community where you are are living is coming together. Talk about how the community where you're living is responding to all of this, uh, whether it's in Detroit or one of the surrounding cities. Talk about how you're helping your neighbors or seeing people come together during this time in a way that seems unique or special. Uh, also, as always, give us a call and just tell us how you're doing. Tell us how you and your family are as we are all kind of still adapting to this idea of social distancing, the loss of physical contact with so much of the worlds that most of us live in. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, And we've got Anna Clark, a Detroit-based journalist and author, who has been writing about uh, what's going on in Detroit with the pandemic for Bridge Magazine with us. Uh, Anna, I want to start this segment uh, on the phones, uh, Alberta in Detroit. Welcome to the show. 
thank you so very much for taking my call, Stephen, first of all. Yes. And I want to talk about the following. We must, we must begin to address the disparities. Yes. I have watched on three occasions on national TV where doctors have mentioned the disparities from their emergency rooms. And every time the national newscasters gloss over this issue, either they're ignorant or they just don't want to dig that deep. I also know that in certain communities, and I'm talking about if you drive down 14 Mile or if you're in certain communities and other counties, you'll find block after block after block of medical facilities, OBGYNs, dentist offices, various specialty offices, and I, I've always noticed that. And now we wonder why Detroit is suffering the way it is. I yeah. want to take this opportunity, if you allow me, yeah. to call out the names of four people whom I love dearly. Dr. Calvin Trent, mm-hmm. Representative Isaac Robinson, Jan Lawson, and DJ Renard, all who were here a month ago but are not here today. Yes. And I want to say that one thing I hope everyone gets out of this, and that is what affects one affects all. So whereas you might try to ignore people, you may as well understand that what affects one affects all. And that if nothing else, this virus has taught us that there is, it is the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has become the great equalizer in the world. But especially on a local level, we got to face up to it, folks. We've got to do a better job once we get over and through all of this. Yeah. Uh, Alberta, I, I would be remiss if I didn't fully identify you for our listeners. You are, of course, uh, a member of the House of Representatives here in the state of Michigan. And, of course, somebody I've known a long time and, and have deep uh, respect. I'm sorry, that's right. You're a former rep uh, uh, in the House of Representatives. Um, uh, but you're somebody who is a close close personal friend of the show, and I really appreciate the call and and your comments. Alberta, before I let you go, give me an idea of how you're doing uh, through all of this. Um, thank the Lord. I'm doing fine. I'm checking on the people as much as I possibly can, relatives who I know, other individuals who are living alone, just hearing their voice, letting them know that they're being thought of. You know, I tell everyone, I am in the same house I was born in 65 years ago. No, I know that. (laughs) And I take great pride in that. I can tell you when I look out my door now, it's like looking over prairie land because so many people, so many houses are gone. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is, we're still here and we're still fighting. And we have to recognize our dependency upon one another. If never before, I hope and pray we come to that realization now. And I want to thank the folks from Bridge because I do get their information on my phone every day. Mm. They're doing a great job. They produce information that's unbiased and it's very, very helpful to all folks. And I just want to say finally, Remember the least, what people call the least of these, <laughs> they're us, we're them. Yeah, yeah. Alberta, it's great to hear from you, and I'm Thanks. glad you shared Everyone. all this with our listeners. Yeah, uh, Anna, I, I want to give you a chance to respond to what uh, Alberta was talking about there up front, this idea of the disparities. Uh, I, I think the, the idea of 
the things that are available to Detroiters during normal times, where she's talking about the lack of doctor's offices that you see in the city, the, 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 dif- the difficulty getting to a dentist and things like that. I mean, those are the things that I think now stand in real, uh, in real highlight as we try to deal with a public health crisis. If public health is not great to begin with, you have no chance if something like this happens, of managing it in a, a reasonable way. I Thank you. I really appreciate that call, and I really appreciate the points made about how, how, how this crisis is making it painfully clear how connected we all are, <laughs> and, and, um, and, 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 and about this, uh, uh, the reality of the health disparities that we're facing because it, because it's just true. I mean, this is a city where the median income is like $29,000. So one of the, um, when it comes to, um, uh, lack of, um, access, um, to healthcare, to doctors, to specialists, to, to all that kind of thing, there's, um, uh, there's, 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 um, there's much less of it here. I mean, people people um, may not have a regular doctor that they uh, check in with every every few months. They may not have uh, reliable health insurance. Um, they uh, and 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 this can lead to um, uh, health conditions that worsen over time, um, setting the stage for uh, something like this uh, pandemic, um, where if you do contract the coronavirus, you're going to, you you are much more at risk uh, for its most serious symptoms and even death. And, um, and I, I think that's, um, um, that, as a, that, that pattern community-wide is really testing uh, the city's uh, public health infrastructure. Like, like, like you said, like, do we have the capacity to deal with this? I mean, we've had, um, uh, I mean, do we have uh, the resources to deal with this in, 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 in a literal level? Um, like, can we can do we, can we reach people with information as we were kind of talking about earlier? Can, do people have uh, enough supplies? Do we have enough staffing? Do we have um, um, uh, uh, transit? Do people can people get to the hospital um, if and when they need to? Um, they or to the state fairgrounds where the testing um, is happening. Uh, in large numbers right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think, um, each, like each small gap, uh, like, um, gets added onto every other small gap, um, to become something that is this very widespread, uh, disparity. And as we can see very literally, it's, it's, it's a life and death question right now. I mean, just people, if you are in Detroit, you are more at risk of dying. Of this of this disease, and it's um, and it and it is it, it, according to the like the numbers we're seeing right now, and it's and as we could hear in the the motion of of, of Alberta's call, like this is I mean this is like this is just it, it's just the loss is incalculable, yeah. um, and and I and I think it's kind of showing how like we need um, when it comes to public health, I mean it, we need to be looking at all these like social determinants as um, um, as, as, as a, a regular part of healthcare, um, because if we can't, if if we don't, it's just it's just not going to going to function. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, again, uh, I want to thank Alberta Tinsley Flabby for, for calling in and sharing what's going on in her community. As always, again, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Again, we're talking about what's going on in Detroit, but we also want to hear what's going on with you wherever you live, and especially call and tell us how you're doing right now. Let's go to Joshua in Dearborn Heights. Joshua, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you today? Good, how are you? Are you still feeling healthy? I am, I am, and I am doing everything I can to make sure I am not, uh, you know, not encountering too many other people and not going places uh, that uh, that might put me in danger and then put everybody that I see in danger. So uh, yeah. right, okay. me me as well. I'm still still well. Knock on wood. And as is my brother. Unfortunately, he was a waiter, so he's kind of like not doing well happily with monetary. Yeah. Um, I'm more calling to touch back more on the previous subject of how it might have spread so quickly. Uh-huh. And I was wondering if maybe the primaries had something to do with it because at the time. It was not really, I mean, it was, but it wasn't here as bad as it was. And it's like all of a sudden, poof, everybody's been going out and voting and standing in lines next to each other. And then a week later, you know, we're on, you know, Governor Whitmer is like, hey, stay in your house. Right. You know, and I'm just wondering if maybe like the primary is kind of like maybe, you know, made it go a little faster around here. And, it's... you know, and then in context, you know, along with what you were saying about, you know, the poorer people, you know, and going along with that theory. So I was just trying to maybe try to see what, you know, maybe I had something to go with. Yeah, uh, Joshua, Joshua, that's a really great point. And um, so, so it was exactly three weeks ago today that we held our primary elections. And it was that weekend that we started to see the state really respond to, uh, to to the coronavirus epidemic and and start to really put some restrictions on on movement, but you're absolutely right. We we don't know whether a lot of people who might have been exposed at that point or might have been sick and didn't know it, whether that might have uh, accelerated the rate here in Michigan. And that's one of the scary things is that their worth life was normal in that week i mean we were we were all voting uh, and and this horrible thing that's happened was certainly already underway in some form uh, in our community and gatherings big gatherings that week or even in the week before do seem like they may have made it more dangerous for some people and i wonder what you make of that yeah i i think that's i think it's that's um, absolutely a reasonable factor to be thinking here. Uh, like, so we had the, we had the primary, it had, uh, a quite decent turnout, if I recall. And, um, and, and that was March 10th, March 11th was like the date that universities across the state start canceling their classes and going online only. So, I mean, it was, it, it was, uh, it, things started stepping up, um, quite quickly after the, um, immediately after the primary. And so I think it's um, very reasonable to think that um, as we're all going to our polling places, um, we might have um, unwittingly uh, carried or carried the virus with us or taken it back home with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Joshua, appreciate the call and the comments and hope that things continue to go well for you. Let's go to Gregory in Royal Oak. Gregory, welcome to the show. Good morning. 
Well, my boiling point is way over um, on this, our federal administration. I think a lot of people can agree on that. But when I look around the world, I think the boiling point for administrations around the world also has maxed out. And my comment is, I, I think it's the ego of politicians over the years that have blinded them to the science and what we need to do to protect people. So I think it's going to be very interesting of how this virus, once it finally gets eradicated, does have an influence and effect on the political class and whether hmm. we will actually get more bang for our buck from political leaders in the future. Hmm. Uh, I, I can, yeah, I can go ahead, Greg. Keep offline. Too. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, I, I appreciate the call. And I think that's an important perspective to start thinking about is how does our accountability uh, for government change or the, the way that we try to hold government accountable change for us after we get through all of this? And I think that's some of Anna Clark, what you have been sort of uh, digging through in, in Bridge Magazine is the ways in which government before this was already failing us as people here in the city of Detroit, this idea of water shutoffs, the idea of the deep poverty that consists, that persists generation after generation, uh, all of those things are catching up to us now, and they they certainly ask us to think differently about it in the future. the The, the question always is, will we act differently as a way of preventing something like this from having the effect it's it's having right now? I think there are a lot of things that have always been problems, or at least have been problems for a very long time, that are suddenly becoming magnified uh, right now in the midst of the virus. They're becoming um, visible in this in this whole new way. Um, and as we strip down our society to its essential services, I mean, it, it really, you know, forces a question, like, what is the essential service of a city? What, what, what do we expect, if nothing else? And it turns out it's water, it's food, it's shelter, it's safety. Um, th- these basic means of survival are what we need. And a lot of people, a lot of people uh, do not have access to that, have not had access to that for a long time. Uh, so the city and the state, just a couple weeks after a um, uh, refused to grant a moratorium on water shutoffs in Detroit, um, uh, saying that it, there was no indication that um, the shutoffs posed a public health threat. Just a couple weeks afterwards, yep. in the face of a public health threat, they reversed that. Yep. <laughs> um, the, the access to food. I mean, all these schools that have closed um, have made um, food insecurity for families, for children especially, um, very visible. Uh, rec centers across the city have been deployed, and, and, and many schools as well. And Gleaners has heavily ramped up its services to meet uh, food needs uh, for people um, that were, again, always there, but are now um, becoming uh, visible, becoming addressed with much more intensity um, than it has been in a long time. Same thing with uh, shelter, as we're thinking about, like, the, um, as, as this shelter-in-place order um, stands, like how does that sit for folks who have um, insecure housing mm-hmm. or who are homeless, um, and safety, um, how we're thinking about just, first of all, the public health question, our bodily integrity as this virus spreads, and also, you know, as um, our frontline forces and um, 
healthcare healthcare and firefighting and, and police public uh, police um, uh, the police department are um, ex- are, are vulnerable uh, because of this virus in a, in a whole different way. It's um, I mean I think I think you know Detroit is a city that has um, been sort of positioned for turnaround for comeback for a post bankruptcy re- renaissance and a lot there's been a lot of attention on new development and new programming and some things that are very exciting and wonderful, but when it comes down to it, <laughs> the most, the thing that, the things that we need our city to do are these, um, basic services mm-hmm. that have not been fully done, um, for, um, for all, for, for, uh, the whole city for, um, way too long. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think this, this new state of emergency is showing us that with political will, things that were said to be impossible are now possible. Suddenly, the water shutoffs aren't necessary. Suddenly, water restoration is possible. Suddenly, it is possible to um, uh, have a moratorium on tax foreclosures. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it is possible to do all these things that um, uh, were, were considered uh, too radical, <laughs> too impossible, too much to ask a city for. Suddenly, now it's possible um, as uh, the public health of all is is at stake. But as you know, as Alberta kind of mentioned, um, it was always at stake. Yes. It was always at stake, and 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 we're just seeing it in a new way. And 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 as the last caller kind of mentioned, what what is the on- ongoing political legacy of that? Um, what what will this have a permanent, long lasting change in what we expect of um, our public leaders and of each other? Okay, Anna Clark, Detroit-based journalist and author, and author of several articles now in Bridge Magazine about how the coronavirus pandemic is playing out here in Detroit. It is always great to have you here with us, but it was especially good to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for coming by. Thank you so much. All right, up next, we're going to take a look at how community efforts and support systems are manifesting in the virtual world and making a big difference in the real world here in the city of Detroit. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Joe in Detroit, Gloria in Southwest, Glenn in the Cass Quarter. We'll get to you as well if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you have joined us. We're talking today about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic right here in the city of Detroit, where we are seeing more cases than almost anywhere else in the world. The rate of infection here has grown exponentially over the last few weeks. We're also seeing more deaths as a percentage of the population and as a percentage of those known cases than in other places. And of course, that has a real effect on our lives here in the city of Detroit, how we relate to each other, how we can even come together to mourn the people that we all know who are sick and dying. I want to welcome someone else to this conversation right now whose efforts are really to try to make some of that feel just a little better for us, to connect us in a different way. Justin Anwenu is a community organizer at Sagara Club and one of the founders 
of the Metro Detroit COVID-19 support Facebook group, which has more than 7,000 members at this point. Justin Anueno, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about uh, when you and these other co-founders uh, created this forum. What, what did you have in mind? Yeah. So, again, there, there are a lot of people involved. So Lauren Shanaville and Bridget Quinn from Combe County, Gabriela Santiago Ramiro from Southwest Detroit. Uh, we had Molly Sweeney from 484 Working Space in Oakland. And so a lot of folks wanted to come together together to find a way to make sure that that our communities um, were having needs um, and gaps addressed. Uh, we're noticing that there are a lot of services uh, that have been moved to either person-to-person or community organization to, to helping out people in need. And so we wanted to make sure to find a way to connect people to resources, make sure people uh, know what's going on in their community just because there's so much going on. It's so hectic. Uh, right now. So we wanted to make sure to, to, to take time to bring people together in a way that was productive and that would bring relief to, to folks that need it. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that I think uh, is so important right now, this idea of solidarity and connection with other people. This is very hard for everyone, not just because of the isolation that we're experiencing, but because of the sadness that is starting to kind of invade our our lives, and a, a group like this really does give people just another way to escape from some of the things that are really tough to deal with, but also to connect uh, with each other. And and if you go to the, the the support group and look at the posts, I mean, it's it's really obvious the way in which this is just fortifying people right now. I mean, you're 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 giving people information, but I. But I also get the sense that it's just making people feel more human in, right. at a time that right. they don't. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge need, um, especially in a metro Detroit area that, you know, oftentimes we have small suburbs, big cities. We have so many different types of communities, and oftentimes those communities are separated and segregated. We wanted to find a way um, to, to cross those boundaries, to cross those communities, to make sure that folks, you know, black, white, Latino, native, newcomer, that all of us were, were finding a way to come together. I think this virus has shown that we can't um, continue to operate in this, you know, it's it's my community and my community only type of mindset. I think people are recognizing the importance of solidarity and not just solidarity um, because it's the right thing to do, but solidarity in, in the way that we're interconnected and that we're dependent on each other. Um the public health in your community is the public health in my community in a lot of ways. And so I think this, the Facebook page, the Facebook group has become, can come together, can ask crazy questions that, you know, they, they didn't um, find on Google, um, find resources that they didn't know where to, where to start looking for. And so, you know, we're really trying to build community and we're hoping that this is a, a space that in the long term can not only build community, but that can also start to, to, to move the needle and make the changes that we all want to see reflected, uh, given you know, all the gaps that have popped up from, mm-hmm. from, this, from this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go back to listeners here on the phones, and if you want to join them again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Um, let's go to Gloria in Detroit. Gloria, Gloria in Southwest. Yeah, go ahead, Gloria. 
Yeah, good morning. This is Gloria Rivera. I live in southwest Detroit, and the former uh, speaker connects with some of what I was going to say. I, we all know... Uh, maybe. Gloria, can you can you call us back? There's something uh, going on. I really want to get your comment into the into the show here because um, I I think the, the perspective from Southwest and uh, I know you wanted to talk about uh, undocumented immigrants, but if you can give us a call back, uh, we'll we'll get you back into the into the flow here. Um, yeah, go ahead, Justin. I know we lost you there as well. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, we do have you. We do have you back. And I, I did want to get to to Gloria, but in, in the meantime, I'm going to go to somebody else quickly. Uh, let's go to Joe in Detroit. Joe, welcome to the show. You there, Joe? Yes. Uh, hi. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah. yeah my question is simple. Uh, and I'll hang up and listen to the answer, and you may not have it, but some of your listeners may. Hmm. Now, obviously, at a state fair, you must have a prescription uh, to go through there. What if an individual has no doctor, can't get a prescription over the phone, begins to um, display some symptoms? What is they, or what should they do? All crash the emergency rooms? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Joe. Uh, and what you're referring to there is the fact that the city has opened this rapid testing center at the fairgrounds where they hope to test, I think, up to 400 people a day as a way of trying to get their arms around what's going. And you do have to have a doctor's prescription in order to to show up and get that test. And if you don't have a doctor, I don't know what you do. Justin, I wonder if that's a subject that has come up on on the Facebook group. Okay. Are you still there, Justin? Yep, I'm still here. Yeah. Is that a is that a subject that's come up on the on the Facebook group? Yeah, it has. Um, folks not having insurance, folks not having a doctor. Um, the suggestion for for folks who don't have a primary care physician and who have insurance is to uh, to try to find a, a walk in um, primary care physician. Um, a lot of folks are also going to urgent care. This doesn't solve the issue, you know. Folks not having insurance. Um, and I think that's definitely something the city should should look more into. Um, but we have seen that folks are folks are asking questions from, you know, where can I get a babysitter? Uh, to you know, I have a an elderly neighbor that needs help delivering food, and so we're getting a lot of questions about folks who who don't have the resources um, to do well in this time, needing to be connected to those resources. Yeah, yeah, uh, Joe, I really appreciate. The call and the question. Let's go back to Gloria in Southwest. Gloria, welcome back. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can. Yes. All right. So what I was calling about, and thank you very much for all the information, and it connects with what Justin was saying and is doing with his colleagues, mm-hmm. is uh, the awareness to, and I think he has it, the way he talked about it, of people in Southwest Detroit <clears throat> Excuse me, and other places that are um, where on people without document proper documents are, so they are already working under fear and hiding and all that kind of thing. And their situation, because not everybody has access to um, internet, so there are people that always fall through the gaps, which connects with what uh, Roberta Tinsley Talavi was saying earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. So just to mention that, and to also mention that in Monroe there is a detention center that nobody sees, 
where there are a lot of uh, undocumented people waiting to be deported. Yes. And the situation there is they live in big dorms because they're not dangerous. They never have been. And they're close to each other. And what is a, you know, what is the potential there? We've talked about jails. We've talked about people being let out of jail. Mm-hmm. So all of that is maximizes the situation for the Latino community, not only here in Southwest Detroit, but in other parts of Michigan. Yeah. And lastly, I wanted to invite all our listeners that maybe we can start putting a light on our windows, kind of like we do at Christmas. Not a big fancy thing, but maybe just a little light that shows that we are in solidarity with one another. If we're oh. shut in, but we're not shut out, just a thought. You know, oh, that's a very that's a very sweet thought, Gloria, and that's a really interesting idea. Somehow displaying the solidarity that we're trying to feel for each other by decorating our houses. I love I, I love that idea, uh, Justin. I wonder uh, if if you can talk just a little about uh, one of the things I noticed on the on your page is that it you know it really does sort of pull in the disparate parts of Detroit, the different neighborhoods, the different communities, and kind of lifts up everybody's individual experience. Uh, the things that Gloria was talking about, of course, are, are, are very important in southwest Detroit. I wonder if there has been a reflection of that on your Facebook group. Yeah, certainly. Um, one of the, the big concerns that I have and that other organizers have is that folks who, you know, because of the the national climate, um, may be afraid to come forward to get tested to seek help um, because of their immigration status, and that's something that we've tried to address just by connecting um, folks to resources that are that are vetted and that we know, um, you know, won't put them at risk and will keep folks safe. Um, and I think people are also realizing that. You know, if folks don't feel comfortable getting tested or seeking help, that's that's something that's that's bad for all of us. And so we need to find a way, um, not necessarily on the national scene, uh, but certainly in our own communities and within the state, to build a more you know inclusive space uh, so that everyone feels comfortable seeking out the help that they need. Um, we're also just noticing that th- there are common experiences across the Metro Detroit area that you you know, that you wouldn't see if you were just reading um, certain news stories that, that oftentimes we're, we're pitted against each other. It's Detroit versus the suburbs. It's this neighborhood versus this neighborhood. And so what we're seeing, though, is that we're all sharing this common experience. It's been about three weeks since folks started is- socially isolating. Yeah. Um, but there are certainly experiences, whether it's, you know, family that we're worried about, uh, folks who may be elderly that we're worried about, or or also just, you know, having kids in the home while you're trying to work. These are common experiences that I think people are connecting on. And I think it would be remiss of us if we don't remember these experiences, these shared experiences after this crisis ends. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, I really appreciate what you're doing, and I really appreciate you being here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.